of The Underage Lawyer. For those who haven't been on my Tumblr or my Instagram recently, you won't know this, but my study blog today is turning two years old, which is very exciting. So keep an eye out on my blog and on my study blog because in the next two weeks I'll be celebrating by releasing printables and they will be available in a set of five. Today's episode is called The High Court Under the Microscope. We're looking at a case that hasn't yet had a decision made on it. So I thought it would be interesting to examine the submissions of the appellant. Submissions are papers written by defending counsel that outline the issues at hand. They're really interesting to read, particularly for young law students, because they show the application of law to legal matters. Today's case is about the use of evidence and its implication in a court of justice. When we see evidence, we like to assume it favours one side more than the other. However, in this case, you will see the impact of circumstantial evidence. Circumstantial evidence is a two-edged sword. From one angle it will support an, an argument and from another it can defeat it. Phones are strong circumstantial evidence. The courts will often refuse to take the view that the accused did not have their phone on them. They can be used to track locations, motive, messages and previous history with the victim. Looking at case facts of Aaron Bucher, in the Supreme Court of South Australia, Wesley Gange was convicted of shooting Adrian McDonald. McDonald was killed in Parafield, South Australia. The prosecution argued that Gange shot McDonald, and they claimed he had hidden in the boot of a car not far from where McDonald stood. McDonald and Gange, they were once in a relationship. The relationship had broken down and caused issues between them. Both of them were involved in drugs, firearms, and violent behaviour, and Gange had previously sold drugs to McDonald. His accomplice, Tristan Castle, accused of sitting in the driver's seat. Telecommunication records were used to show the movements of Gange and Castle's phones. Before this event, Gange had sent texts to McDonald which were derogatory and contained threats. There was the use of an alibi for Gange. Gange's girlfriend, M, remembered seeing him at home on that day. However, disputes arose about the veracity of her evidence. She suffered from psychosis, false beliefs, auditory hallucinations, detachment from reality, paranoia and impaired reasoning. This finding was appealed to the Court of Criminal Appeal. The appeal was on the basis that the judge had failed to direct the jury properly about the evidence of Gange's involvement. The evidence was highly circumstantial. It was brought to light that Gange and M had used multiple phones interchangeably. It is hard to discern who made the text and who had which phone. It became more impractical when both Gange and M admitted that because of drug use, they often didn't remember where they were or what they'd done. This made corroboration of the circumstantial evidence even more difficult. When the judge failed to show the holes properly in the evidence, the jury gave the circumstantial evidence too much weight, while the judge should have directed them to give it little weight. The failure to do so made the conviction unjust and inevitable. In summary, the court believed beyond reasonable doubt that the appellant had shot the deceased, but they'd based this belief on the telephone records, motive evidence, proven planning, and a confrontation through text recorded on the phone of the accomplice Castle and Gange. There were documents placing Gange in a different location at the time of the shooting. There were also tracked movements through his phone that placed him at the crime scene. However, expert evidence pointed out that Phones are not a confirmation of identity. It could never be completely confirmed who was on the other end of the phone. However, the courts decided to overlook this and claim the evidence was an important part of proof. They were allowed to be considered equally by the jury. The appeal to the High Court. The case went to the High Court for two reasons. The first was that the criminal appeal erred in holding that the learned trial judge correctly admitted evidence of the appellant's past possession of firearms. 
I'm not going to go into that today, I'm just going to focus on the text, but that was one of the reasons why they went to the High Court. The second issue was that the Court of Criminal Appeal failed to recognise that the learned trial judge misdirected the jury about the weight to be given to each piece of evidence. You have to give specific legal reasons for going to the High Court. You can't just decide that you don't want to accept the verdict. The Court of Appeal has the right to refuse you leave to go to the High Court, so that's why there's specific legal reasons for them to be accepted into the High Court. So why shouldn't we believe this evidence? So far, the evidence appears to be quite valid. However, if you examine the circumstances under which the evidence appears, you will realise it is highly circumstantial. Firstly, the location of Gunja's phone is unimportant. He had left it behind in Castle's car. In fact, the car belonged to Castle's mother and was often used by her. Castle and Gunj hadn't met up for a few days, which makes the connection between his placement, Castle's placement, and the murder even further removed. Additionally, it was possible that his girlfriend was using the phone at the time. M had purchased and paid for the phone. Their friends all recorded that the couple was close and mixed communication devices often. If M had been using the phone, anything she said could not be taken into account against Ganj. Her medical issues, including paranoia, hallucinations and delusions, suggest that anything she said may not be true. Evidence also confirmed that while Ganj used this phone, he had also had an additional prepaid phone. M sometimes used this prepaid phone as well. Connecting a particular party to a phone was impossible. The two did not identify themselves before texting and a phone number is only associated with a phone, not the user at the time. Therefore, the courts relied upon an assumption of an identity, but that assumption could never be guaranteed as correct. It was clearly shown that others may have been in possession of the tracked phone while it was tracked. Ganj could not identify the exact date that he had it returned to him, and some evidence suggested it could have been in possession of others during the day of the murder. Therefore, the value of the tracked movements was only lessened when applied to the social habits of the accused. The shooting occurred during social hours, but because of the use of drugs, neither Ganj or Castle kept reasonable hours. Thus, tracking whose movement was where and which may have been faked was a concern. While Ganj admitted that sometimes he didn't sleep for weeks, the court had to apply some weight to the fact that the tracked movements reflected a pattern of someone with relatively normal waking hours. Issues There are many more issues connected to this case. In fact, the submissions of the appellant are 22 pages long. However, I really wanted to focus on the use of circumstantial evidence and identity assumption in criminal law. When used, the evidence appears to make a conflicting statement about the right to fair trial. We are all familiar with the term two-sized every coin. Therefore, committing someone on a circumstantial case alone appears unfair. The Booker case has not yet come to trial, but it will be interesting to see the High Court's remarks upon the extreme reliance on identity assumption. New technologies have increased the ability for police to track charged individuals. However, it also leads to confusion and misunderstanding. Phone numbers are not identity codes. Yet it appears the court has begun to treat them as such, even in matters as serious as murder. It would be interesting to remove the evidence of Ganja's phone and rerun the trial. My prediction is that without the critical assumption that a phone indicates the identity of a person, a conviction could not occur. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on this issue. Thanks for listening to The Underage Lawyer, and I hope that you keep an eye out for my printables package that will be available for the celebration of my two years running a study blog and almost three years for this blog. Thanks for listening.